your visitor here, uh, I want to just say that we've been working our way through the book of Galatians. Pretty much section by section, verse by verse. Last week, we explored the whole subject that we were incorporated into God's family and into God's kingdom. And this sermon, chapter 4, is a continuation of Paul's thinking as he started to unpack the relationship that we have. But very simply, I made the point that in the same way that, you know, uh, Kate Middleton, who was... um, I I guess just a member of the common British establishment, although she came from quite a rich family. Uh, She ended up marrying a prince and as a result inherited a whole uh, range of wonderful things. And she became a duchess and she became, she'll one day be the queen of uh, Britain and the Commonwealth because she married into uh, the Windsor family. And, and that was a legal uh, contract that took place. In the same way, Paul is trying to say that under the Abrahamic blessing, we have the same contract by which we are now part of God's mighty family. And Paul makes it clear that we have inherited so much. But he also makes it clear that before this moment of incorporation of being united in Christ. And he uses that phrase, being united. What does it mean to be united in Christ? Well, it means that you receive the Holy Spirit and God lives within your life. It means that you are a branch and he is a vine. It means that the kingdom of God is within you. And so often, we think of God out there. We think that God's up there, that God's unreachable, and that God will come down one day, and the heavens will open, and angels will appear wearing long white nighties from Laura Ashley. And as they come down, then you're going to have a moment with God from above. But Jesus said that your life, your temple, the kingdom of God's within you. And when you become united with Christ, the truth is this. When you become united with Christ, Christ is a lot closer to you than you can ever imagine. You're the branch. He is the vine. The Holy Spirit is the sap. And Father is the gardener. And so Paul said that before that, we were enslaved, we were imprisoned. The um, Israel nation was enslaved by the law, and humanity as a whole is cursed and enslaved by, by sin and by death. But a beautiful thing happened, we were incorporated, we were invited into the family of God. And now there was this era, and now we're in this era, the era. And this was sealed by our baptism. You remember your baptism. And really, everything about baptism should remind us that we are children of God and that God is our Father. And as a result, you and I have a brand new identity. And that identity is in Christ Jesus. For I no longer live, but Christ that lives within me. And the beauty of the Christian journey is losing ourselves and finding Jesus Christ. The beauty of the Christian journey is realizing that my old selfish, 
self-driven identity, with all my false selves, with all of my masks, with all of my, my costumes, metaphorically, that I wear in life to be somebody I'm really not. You can only be the person that you're meant to be when you are united in Jesus Christ. And he comes and unites us. It's a mystery. It is incredible. And this is available to every person. It's available both to men and women, both to slaves and free. It's available to all people and all nations of all the world can come to faith, can be baptized and can enter a new era whereby they're in a relationship with God. And over our lives, it's simply written these words, I am under new ownership. I belong to Christ. And so Paul is unpacking these truths And then he continues with powerful metaphors. This is all part of his dialogue. He's, of course, I've made the point. He's saying that the reason the law exists isn't to give life. The reason the law exists is to restrain evil in the world. The reason the law exists isn't, it it calls us to righteousness, but it cannot create righteousness. But what creates righteousness is the work of Christ on the cross that makes me from a fallen sinner to somebody that is forgiven and somebody that is full of God's love and somebody that is redeemed. And, and, and also the law continues to show me and reveal within me my weaknesses. But the law can't do anything for me. It is the power of the Spirit that sets me free from the law of sin and death. And that's how we become free. So Paul is, is, is debating, he's writing earnestly to the church at Galatians saying, you know, don't go back to the old ways, walk in the new ways, walk in the power of the Spirit, walk in the power of God's presence, have the fruit of the Spirit at work within your life, don't back off. And then we have chapter 4 verse 1. So he's carrying on with this narrative. He says, what I'm saying to you is that as long as an heir is under age, he is no different from a slave, although he owns the whole estate. The heir is subject to guardians and trustees until the time is set by his father before he can gain the inheritance. So also, when we were under age, we were in slavery under the elemental spiritual forces of the world. That little phrase is really important. Elemental, spiritual forces of the world. We're going to come back to that. But when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship. Because you are his sons, God sent his spirit of his son into our hearts. The spirit... Who calls out, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are, a, are his child, God has made you also an heir. Really the big message I want to communicate from these seven verses is that you are an heir. Every one of you. If you are in Christ, you are an heir of an inheritance that Jesus Christ has given us and purchased for us through the cross. 
That phrase, Abba Father, really it's that cry by which we now have experienced a direct connection with God because we're in relationship with God by which we can cry, Abba Father. I read a BBC report recently on a research paper done on French and German babies. Now, the report and the research was extensive amongst all these crying babies. They did this, it sounds like a terrible research paper, actually, because they listened to the cries of hundreds of crying babies, and they discovered something that every mother knows in this building. They discovered that the mother has an ability to hear, amongst all of the babies, to hear their baby crying out loud, and there is a natural connection between their baby and themselves. When their baby cries, they know which is their baby crying. It's amazing. But we all knew that. I knew that when we had twins. And they would cry a lot. And I knew exactly which one was crying and when and how. And I knew that I had to fake being asleep in the bed at night. <laughs> because the baby would cry and I'd go, oh, that's Jessica. Oh, yeah, oh, no. When she wakes up, oh, it's going to be all night long. And I'd be lying there and Michelle would uh, go, oh, Jessica's crying. Yeah, I know, I can hear her. Uh, well, actually, I wouldn't say that. She'd say, Jessica's crying and I'd be... <laughs> <laughs> Jessica's crying... It's, it's, it's your turn for Jessica. Are you pretending to be asleep? <laughs> yes, I am, darling. And I fall out of bed, crawl across the floor, and feel like a coward's lit to my face. And I, I just oh, I feel horrible. And then I pick her up. That, that was 21 years ago. And um, she's still waking me up. But, and then Emily would cry. And I'd hear Emily, and I'd uh, know exactly. And, um, and I'd, you know, she'd go to bed a lot quicker. She didn't have colic. And so I'd jump out of bed and, and I'd do that. And then Bella and Josiah, you learn. And now today, even in the noise of the kitchen with all the kids around, sometimes they all sound like each other. And I don't know who's talking to me, but I know who their father is. <laughs> I do, don't I? <laughs> Uh, it's me. And so I'm like, I can, uh, Emily, go, that's, that's, that's Josiah speaking, not me. Oh, right. You sound like each other. And, but the point is of the research, thousands of dollars told me that a mother knows the cry of her child. Say, so what's the point of that? This point. What Paul is saying to us, When we cry out a father, it's this, that when you cry out to your father in heaven, God knows the cry of his child. He knows your cry. He knows your prayers. He knows what you face. He knows what you're going through. There is a divine connection between you and God, which the law can never give, but Jesus Christ gave it through his death on the cross. And you and I can have a divine connection with God that we know that we can cry out, Abba, Father, Daddy, 
Father in heaven. And there is that connection that exists. And what Paul is desperate in Galatia, do not lose the beauty of the intimate relationship that you have been given in your faith. Because you can cry, Father God. He's with you. But verse 3 verses, Paul makes the point that basically there is a period of slavery that happened before the era of redemption. And the period of slavery was that we were basically, humanity were orphans. We were enslaved. We were, we were under guardianship. And that guardianship, we were... We were looked after, of course, for the Jewish nation under the law. But there was this period when humanity, he's saying, we were basically in slavery. And he's not even just saying about the time in Egypt. He's talking about the era before Jesus Christ that we were orphaned. We are in slavery. We are under guardianship. There was no way forward. And our slavery existed. But then there came a time. And the heir is subject to the guardian and the trustee until the time set by the father. And Paul makes it clear that the time was set by the father when the great supernova event would happen in the world and Christ would appear. But then we get this idea. So also when we were under age, we were in slavery under the elemental spiritual forces of the world. What is Paul saying? He's saying you were in slavery and it wasn't just in Egypt. It was for the whole era until Jesus the Messiah came. But you were and humanity is under the elemental spiritual forces of the world. Interesting phrase. Theologians have talked about this and what this means. But simply what this means that Paul is saying is saying this because the phrase is used later on in chapter 4 to talk about the pagan gods and talk about society. What he's actually saying is humanity has been in slavery to things like money, power and sex. To the idols of this world. That we've looked for significance in our power and our position. We've looked for for real peace and intimacy through, through uh, s- sexual relationships. We've looked for hope in our money. And he's saying these base idols, these elemental forces in the world cause us to live in slavery. And if you think about your life and the mess that you've got your life in at times and the problems that you face, you're working out that it's to do with your relationship with power, often your relationship with money, and often your relationship with sex. And suddenly you see how your life and your marriage and problems have spun out of control because of the elementary, basic spiritual forces of idolatry within the world. And as Timothy Keller says about this verse, he says, I want you to know that every one of us battles with idols within our lives. But Paul says this, that although there are elementary spiritual forces at work within our lives that mess us up, idols, and we can see it in the world, he's actually saying this, Now God enacted a process of adoption. 
that you were once a slave, you were once an orphan. But verse 4 says, God started the process of adoption to bring you and I back into the family of God. Adoption is quite a process. Adoption, and I know families in our church that have adopted babies and have traveled a long distance. And it's expensive and it's a hard process. And often they get on airplanes and fly to hot, dusty countries. And there they meet people and go to orphanages. And they see those, those babies and they take those babies from that place and give them a chance in life. And give them an opportunity to succeed. It's expensive. It's hard work. It's stressful. It's full of all kinds of problems for people who have done it. And yet the beauty of that moment when they have that legal document. And that this child from this country has now been adopted into to this family and given a future and given a hope and given a new chance and a world that is adoption and that is exactly what God the Father wanted to do for humanity. If you feel lost, if you feel abandoned, if you feel as if your life is, is that you are worthless. You feel you're a spiritual refugee uh, with no future. You feel alone and fatherless. You feel as if you've got no compass for your life. Then what you are, you're an orphan. But what Christ wants to do in your life this morning, he wants to adopt you into the family of God. And when you join the family of God, everything changes. Everything changes. And so Paul says, but when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law. When that time had fully come, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive adoption to sonship. So there was a period of slavery, and now there's a process of adoption. And that process of adoption came through the son being sent from the father to come and to deal with the power of sin, thereby opening the door so that you and I can be adopted into sonship, into the kingdom of God. So God's had a process. But what a privilege it is. What a privilege it is to know that we are sons of the living God. You see, you might look at this and you might think that to receive adoption to sonship is a masculine term that you might um, say that it is, you know, something that is gender specific. What Paul is actually doing here, he's talking about the position and the rights of sons within that society, but he's applying the position, the inheritance, and the rights of sons, both to men and women. And so what he's making the statement here, he's actually saying, because we know that, 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 both, that this isn't gender specific, this is about status. And there's no other language he could have used. Some translators have just tried to use the word being, becoming a child of God. Or using some kind of phrase. But you've got to understand that sonship has a specific authority, has a specific um, experience to it. You see, a son 
could have access to the father's um, estate. The son would have access to the father in a loving relationship. The son had particular connection that is outside of everybody else to the father, that beautiful, remarkable, intimate relationship with God. And what Paul is saying is that same metaphor applies to the children of God and the kingdom of God, that men and women, slaves and free, people of all nations can become sons of God. And what does that mean? We inherit a glorious relationship with the King of Kings and the Lord. Lord of Lords. It's for all of us. We all inherit that. We all can have that intimate connection by where we cry, Abba, Father, whoever you are. And this is our inheritance. And so we're all sons of God in that way. We are all Have we all received salvation? We've all received the relationship. We've all received that intimacy with God whereby you can cry, Abba, Father. There's a danger though that we we understand that we've been adopted and there's a privilege in being adopted. I told the story quite a while ago, but I'll mention it again. About a friend of mine that adopted a child, a little baby from, uh, from Asia. And when he went to pick this baby up, and he, 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 he took the baby from the orphanage to a local restaurant. And when he got into the restaurant, he noticed a group of very smart businessmen laughing and joking at his expense because he was holding this baby. And this really upset him, and he left. When he went back to the orphanage, he said, why would these people laugh at me because I'm holding this baby? And the person said, well, you've got to understand in this culture, that orphaned baby is nothing, has no value, is nothing more than a a bit of rubbish. In fact, you could have walked in there and wrapped up an empty Coca-Cola bottle and held it, and that's how they viewed what you're doing. You're taking their rubbish back to your country to adopt into your family. And that shocked him, upset him. But as he told me the story, he said he realized he actually adopted two children from that same country. That that's exactly what God did. Is that we are, you know... We are fallen. We are broken. You may feel like the rubbish. You may feel of no value. You may feel, but God the Father sent his son at the right time, came and picked you up. I was an old Coke bottle, two liters, plastic Coke bottle, worth nothing. And yet he adopted me and he made me a son of the house of the kingdom of God. He adopted me. And I am now part of God's family. And I'm part of God's kingdom. And I'm an heir in that family. I think that's beautiful. The danger is this though. That although you've been adopted into God's family. In your status. And the rights of sons for all of us. The danger is this. Is that you live like an orphan. That you still have the mindset of the world. And when you live like an orphan, it means that you're always defensive. When you live like an orphan, it means you're always 
insecure. When you live life an orphan, it means that you feel like an outsider rather than an insider. When you feel like an orphan, it means that you're always protecting. It means you're always slightly reactional. It means that you are functioning in an old mindset where you have to survive for yourself, depend upon yourself, and be a certain way. But God doesn't want you to live like a spiritual orphan. What God wants you to live like is like a child of Abraham, one of an heir, one that has been brought into the kingdom of God. You are no longer an orphan, but you are loved by the God, and his love was shown upon the cross. Every one of you. Maybe there's areas of your life where you act and respond in that kind of abandoned way in your marriage, in your relationship at work, in the thought life, the way that you spin on things and you're not living under the privilege of being a child of God, that you are loved because God just loves you, but you're still performance-based, fear-based, anger-based rather than being based and rooted fully in the love of God. And we need a renewing of the mind. Because we have the privilege of being children of God. Every one of us. And therefore, with that privilege, we cry, as we say, we cry, Abba, Father. This, ver- this phrase was used again in the Gospels, in Luke's Gospel, when Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane and he's agonizing over the pain of what he's facing. And he cries out, Abba, Father, that thy will be done, not mine. Take this away from me, Abba, Father. In the deepest time of pain, he's able to connect with the Father because he is a son. And the father hears the cry of his son. And we live in a tough world. We live in a world that is full of problems. We live in a world that is full of sickness. We live in a world that is full of darkness. But what we can learn to do is understand that that the father hears your cry. And when you cry, Abba, Father, he hears your cry. And so we've talked about a period of slavery, a process of adoption, the privilege of sonship. So please leave here and remind yourself, all of you, that you are heirs of the kingdom of God. And finally, the promise of being an heir. So you are no longer a slave. So the question is, what is enslaving you in your life? And what is holding you back from being the man of God that God is calling you to be? What area of your life are you in slavery to? Because no matter what that is, I do believe that the power of Christ can set you free from that. I believe you can have freedom. You can have life. So you are no longer a slave but God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. What have you inherited? Well, I talked last week that we knew that we've inherited a new kingdom, that you and I have inherited eternal life, that we're going to live forever, 
that you and I have inherited and will inherit a new creation, a beautiful new creation where we will live. Where the Bible says in Romans 11 that even we will inherit the world itself. It also says we will inherit a new city called the city of Jerusalem that will come from heaven. And this city is unshakable, undestroyable, because it is a city where God dwells. And you will inherit as an heir the city of God. You will inherit all of that glory. But you also inherit peace with God. You also inherit peace with one another. You also inherit a, 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 a beautiful thing called prayer, whereby you can have a prayer relationship with God. You also inherit the right to enter the Holy of Holies, where you can come before his throne and you can bring your petitions. And you have a great high priest who stands there on your behalf. You can come into the closest and most intimate place with Christ. That is what you inherit. You inherit life. You inherit freedom. You inherit authority. Because every one of you, every one of you has the authority through Christ Jesus to bind and to loose. You have the authority to pray with confidence. You've been given spiritual authority in Christ Jesus. But so often we don't use that authority. You say, but I'm not good enough. I'm not well enough. I'm not, I'm not really, you know, I'm not the best Christian. Believe me, if it was based on that, we'd all be, that'd be it. We might as well go and watch the rockets every night. That would be, oh, some of you do. Uh, but <laughs> we don't. You know, if, I, if I'm pulled over on Highway 33 by an RCMP officer, of which it has happened to me, in fact, the very RCMP officer that pulled me over comes to this church now, that is the grace and the love of God. <laughs> I'm just checking whether she's here this morning. Uh, we always have a laugh about it. Up to Big White got pulled over. And then she said, oh, you're the pastor at Willow Park Church. I said, yeah. She says, I go to Trinity. Um, <laughs> now she comes to Willow Park Church. It's the way it rolls. But, but if I... If a guy pulls me over and he's only just got out of Regina RCMP church, oh, church, training, <laughs> the Regina RCMP, a day, and he's disqualified and he pulls you over and you go, you look a bit young. How long have you been qualified? A day? <laughs> um, I, I take no notice of you. I knock your hat off. <laughs> Does that matter that he's only qualified a day? No, if he's qualified, he's qualified. And I'll be leaning against the car, <laughs> doing my Starskin Hutch impression. <laughs> Book him, Dano. I'm, I'm mixing my uh, shows here. I'll be into Cadney and Lacey soon, and, um, or Scott and Bailey if you're into English. But, Inspector Morse, here we go. But you get my point is that you are sons, you are children of God, you are heirs, and God has so much for you. You've, we've been, and I think this reflects my own life. I was in a period of slavery before I became a Christian that messed me up 
with all those things of power and money and sex and broken relationships and bad choices and idols in my life. But God took me through a process of adoption when I heard the gospel and Christ freed me from the slavery of the past. And I became a child of God. But I had to learn to live in the privilege of who I am. I had to learn to understand everything that I've got and embrace it as a member of the royal household of God's kingdom. And I want that. I want to join it. But then I need to realize that there are promises with that. And in my own life, I need to activate those promises. And the biggest promise that Paul talks about in Galatians is the promise that the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit will dwell with every believer. And the promise is this, that we will have the fruit of the Spirit will come to us. And that that changed life will come. That love, that joy, that peace is yours. That patience, that kindness, that goodness is yours. That I inherit the faithfulness and and the self-control. I inherit all the goodness of what God has, has done in my life in the fruit of the Spirit. And it's the spirit-filled Christian that walks as a child of God. And that's why, as we move forward in this series, we understand that the work of the spirit needs to be central to the Christian life. Why do you walk away from the spirit, Paul says, and go to the law when he has given you his spirit in your life? Let's pause for a moment. Maybe the question you need to ask yourself is this. Am I living with an orphan mentality as if I'm still worthless? Or am I living as somebody that has been brought into a family? Those two little girls that came from that country today are in their 30s. One's a doctor. They live in Nova Scotia. And I always imagine the beauty of adoption and then the opportunities afforded. It's an amazing concept. I don't know why Christ chose me, but he did. And I'm grateful. It's a mystery to me. It's a mystery. But it's a beautiful mystery. And so therefore, Lord, I want to live as a son of your kingdom, as an heir. And I pray for every one of us here, Lord, that may be suffering with a a lack of confidence in our position in Christ. That in areas we may have an orphaned mentality. I pray that as we sing this final song, that you will come and free us from all those areas where our thought patterns are wrong. And bring us into freedom, Lord, I ask. Bring us into hope. 
Maybe this morning you are not a Christian, but you want to become a Christian. For a moment, or maybe you're so far away from God that you don't feel like a Christian. But for the moment, what you want to do is you want this. You want to join the family. Then give your life to Jesus. Maybe pray this prayer right now in your mind between you and God. It's the prayer I prayed as a, as a teenager with no Christian background. But I heard the message and I was invited to join. As you are now this morning invited to join the family of God and receive salvation. I prayed this prayer. You can pray it quietly to yourself. Dear Lord Jesus, dear Lord Jesus, this morning I give my whole life to you. Whole life to you. As you gave yourself for me on the cross, as you gave yourself for me upon the cross, I give my whole life to you. Forgive me of my sins. Forgive me, Lord, for the wrong choices. And as you gave yourself for me, I give myself to you. I choose, Lord, to surrender my heart to you, Jesus. Come and fill me with your presence. And reach into my life this morning. In Jesus' name. For a moment, if you pray that prayer, I'm not going to embarrass you. I'd love to chat to you afterwards. But if you prayed that prayer to become a Christian, just raise your hand. By raising your hand saying, Pastor, pray for me. I'm not going to embarrass you or point you out. This morning, I gave my life to Jesus. And I want to begin the journey of Christianity. Is anybody? Just raise your hand. Say yes. Yes to Jesus. Father, I pray that you will come and touch hearts and lives. That we may all say yes to Jesus. And move us forward in our understanding of what it means to be a child of God, I pray. In Jesus' name. Amen.